Hello and welcome to the Bliss Bean Show. I'm your host, Patrice, and on this podcast, we talk about how to design intentional days, create meaningful work, and get more out of life. Welcome back to the show. I'm so excited to talk to today's guest. After working in higher education, Michelle Jones realized that the system was broken in some ways. So she did what any reasonable person would do, and she created her own college, Wayfinding Academy in Portland, Oregon. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. Nobody has ever described that as like what a reasonable person would do. (laughs) Well, we'll talk about what made you decide that. So I listened to your TED Talk titled How to Do College Better. And there you told your story about your career in higher education and what about working there made you realize that you wanted to start a college that functioned differently. So can you tell us about why you decided to start Wayfinding Academy? Yeah, totally. Um, I saw on your website that you are an Enneagram type three, which, and I was like, oh yeah, you know, I, I just started working with an executive coach this year for the first time ever in my life. And it was one of the first things he had me do. And because of that, I learned that I am an, a type one on the Enneagram, which is a reformer. So one could say that I was always going to do something like this, but... <laughs> Like, I, I didn't start it till I was in my late 30s. So I think a lot of what we're seeing now that's happening in our country here in the United States with regard to social justice movements and things like that, I feel like the young people had been saying all along that college was broken. And I'm sitting over here as a professor being like, oh, yeah, no, well, it's going to be OK. And, you know, just play this game and just do this thing and just figure this thing out. And um, and my classes. I started out by just like undoing all of the bureaucracy and nonsense in my own classes that I taught. Like I got rid of grades and I got rid of tests and I did, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And I let the class co-create the class with me so that like I wasn't the one deciding what we were learning all the time, but like they got to. So I had done it within my own class. And then what eventually started happening, I'd been teaching, I guess, for like 10 years maybe at that point in like normal traditional colleges. And finally, I don't know what caused me to do it, but I started asking students, like, if you could make a college, what would it look like? Because they seem to have all these thoughts about what's broken and what they were angry about and like what didn't work. And so I finally just started asking directly, like, well, what would you do differently? And I think it took me a little while to really genuinely listen to them. And once I started doing that, I was like, oh yeah, they're right. Like they've been right this whole time. They totally knew what was wrong about this and why it felt horrible. and why they weren't being treated well as students and what we should be doing different, but they didn't have the power or leverage to be able to make the changes. So eventually I was like, you know what? I think we can do this. All these things you say about what a college should be like seems totally reasonable to me. I don't see why it can't be like that. So I, about maybe two years before I like retired as a professor, I, started telling all of my students and everybody I worked with that I was going to start my own college and just collected more ideas and then that's how it came to be. But I think it's been broken for a long time, but I think that it's getting worse, you know what I mean? Partly it's getting worse because it's getting so much more expensive and like the long-term negative impacts of getting into college debt follow people for the rest of their lives now because it's so freaking expensive to go to college. 
So I think people are just like fed up with it more now because they keep raising the price tag, but not making it any better. And in many cases, just making it worse. And of course now it's all online, which is just like way worse. So eventually I started feeling too much built up frustration to not do anything about it. I feel like if you were to tell someone that you're going to start your own college, most people would be like, okay, sure, but type ones get things done. <laughs> I guess so, <laughs> They're the yeah. ones to take on those projects. Um, so you mentioned that in your own classes as a professor, you got rid of grades and tests. And you said that pretty casually, but that seems like a pretty big deal because that's what school is based on, it seems to me. So were you allowed to do that initially? Was there any pushback from, um, I guess, the administration at the college? It's weird. Um, not at first there's not, you know what I mean? Like, as a professor, you can generally do whatever you want within your own classroom mm -hmm. as long as you're, you know, basically being appropriate and teaching the subject materials, material you're supposed to be and that kind of stuff mm -hmm. and covering the learning objectives for the course. So there's no rule that says you have to have tests in your classes or that you have to give grades in a certain way. The only requirement I had was that at the end of the semester, I had to go online to this form and like choose a letter grade for each student. But there's no rules about like how I get to that letter grade. So yeah, students obviously love it because the philosophically, I feel like the whole point of college should be learning and growing and curiosity and following your curiosity and like getting introduced to new ideas. And I don't, like as soon as you start applying tests to that and then grades to that, it just like squashes the curiosity out of people. So, you know, I would talk with the class and I would say, hey, these are the things we're learning this term. How do you want to be evaluated at the end? And usually there'd be some combination of like, well, we're gonna have class and we're gonna have participation. So attendance matters, participating in conversations matter. Um, we each wanna do a personal project. We wanna share it with other people. We wanna reflect on everything at the end. And so each class would agree, like these are the things we wanna do. Mm -hmm. And I'd say, great, we're gonna do all those things and I will provide feedback. My job is to like read the thing, engage in conversation with you individually and as a group, provide feedback and then at the end, you can evaluate yourself on like, did you do all the things you said you were gonna do? And then I had override power, usually I had override power, but only to the positive direction. You know what I mean? So like, I remember this one student, we're very, very good friends now, it was like 12 years ago. And he had made straight A's like his entire, like he'd never gotten anything other than an A. And he had this whole conversation with the class about how grades are totally random anyway, because it's like based on your mood and the professor's mood and some random test and some random thing. Like they don't actually communicate anything about your worth or your value. So he decided he would flip a coin and that that's how he would decide his final grade for the class. And he told the whole class this and they were like freaked out. They're like, what if you don't get what you want? And he's like, I have to work on it so that I don't care what I get, you know, like, I have mentally attached all this worth to grades, even though I know that they don't mean anything. So he like had to release himself from that. And he flipped a coin and he got a C based on his coin flip. And I asked him later, I was like, are, are you sure you want me to put a C for you? Cause you don't have any other C's. And he's like, yep, I want to stick with it. So that's wow. what he got. But it's. <laughs> It's weird here at Wayfinding because we never have those conversations because there just are no grades and no tests. There ne never have been, there never are. So we don't even talk about it. But it was really fun back then in those classes to have conversations with students about like 
how much crap grades are and like they don't really communicate your worth and your value and yet we all have bought into something that says that they matter so much you know yeah eventually after i did it for a few years you know like the chair of the department would come to me and say so i hear that you're not you're letting students grade themselves and i'll be like yep and once i was asked like by a department chair to provide an example of the document that the class created to to show that the class really thought about it they really did set standards that they held themselves to you know it wasn't just like you can never come to class and never do anything and get an a you know <laughs> but that was about it faculty have a lot more power to do all that kind of stuff than you would think that they do well i'm sure then you had even more power when you started your own college so what were the first steps that you took or who did you work together with to start Wayfinding College? Oh, gosh. Well, it was kind of like you said, um, when you sort of announced that, hey, I'm going to start a college, people were like, yeah, mm -hmm, sure. So I did that. I told students I was working with at the time, and then I just told my friends group, basically. And so many people got excited. I did totally get the reaction of like, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, call me later when that's done. Because mm -hmm. nobody had, nobody had done it like I didn't know anybody who had done it nobody I knew knew anyone who had done it so when I started telling my friends group I got a, a different reaction a enough of them said something like oh my gosh that sounds so cool can I help that I was like oh that's interesting and so I I rented out like a local we have these local restaurants here in Portland called McMinimins and they have like cozy little rooms that you can rent and they'll like just bring you food all day long because mm -hmm. it's also a restaurant. So we rented one of these rooms for like a whole day retreat. And I just said, hey, if you think you want to help with this, no commitments. But if you're interested, just come this day. I've rented the whole place. Breakfast and lunch are provided. Come on over. And I had like 20 something people, 25 people. I forgot now. Come to this day. And we just kind of sat around and talked about like, why do you think this could be fun? Why do you think it could be interesting? What would you like to see the college do or be or look like or whatever? And then from that group, I ended up with a founding team who are incredible, amazing humans who all like kind of put their own personal and professional lives on hold to help start this. And now they're all over the world. They've like moved on and they've had kids and they live in other countries now and stuff like that. But they helped get it going and design the curriculum. And it was mostly people who had worked at least a little bit in higher education. Like one guy had worked in admissions before, one person had worked in student services, several faculty members who I had taught with at places I had taught before. Some people had led, like run the, like new student orientation programs. So they had a lot of experience with like, for being on the inside of the higher education industrial complex to be like, oh, I know how this part works and I know how to do that part better. So we all just kind of combined our ideas. We didn't really know when you asked, like, what's the first step? We actually didn't know. Well, we were like, well, I guess we have to name it and we have to get a website. And But it turned out that the first step was, like, to be an actual official college was that you had to apply this very, very long application with the Oregon Higher Education Coordinating Commission. Every state has one of these. It's like a regulatory agency that you get authorization from, and that means you're, like, a real legitimate college that grants a degree, you know, that kind of thing. So it turns out that was the official first step, but, you know, we didn't know that until we'd been working on it for maybe, I guess we'd been generating ideas and stuff for a couple of months. 
for anyone listening who wants to start their own college, that's the first step. Take notes. <laughs> yeah. Or at least get, at least find out what their paperwork includes so that you know what questions they're going to ask you that you have to later answer. Because we had thought through most of it, but there were a couple of things we hadn't thought through, like we're, because we're too idealistic. Like you have to have what they call like a discipline policy. Like if somebody oh. breaks some campus policy, what do you do? And we didn't have one because we were like, that's never going to happen. In my defense, it still hasn't happened. But we have one now because the state agency made us have one. Yeah, have to go through all the bureaucratic stuff. So during your retreat, what were some of the ideas that people came up with or like specific things that they wanted to implement or things that they wanted to change? Or also, I was curious, you said you listened to a lot of your students' feedback. So what was their specific feedback on what parts of college they didn't like? One of the things students said that as soon as they said it, I was like, oh, duh, obviously. And no college I'd ever worked at works this way, nor the ones that I went to. Um, They said that they wanted transparency. So students want to know, where does my tuition money go? Right? So if I'm going to pay this much money, what does that do? Like, why am I paying that much? Where does that money go? Like, how does the college, is the college getting rich because I'm paying this much money? Or like, you know, they just did, they wanted to know how that worked without feeling like it's this, they just write, they just pay this tuition and then they know nothing about where it goes. So that sounded obvious to me because I guess, why wouldn't you want to know that, right? Anything else that you purchase, you kind of know, oh, well, it must be going to whatever it is, packaging or labor or parts or, you know, something. So when we did the retreats, that was one of the things that we brought up early on. And so we knew we wanted to keep tuition really low. So our first year when we started, it was $10,000 a year for tuition. And now it's $11,000 a year. So it's like barely gone up over five years. And that's pretty cheap. I mean, for like a private liberal arts college, that's really affordable. So once we decided we wanted to do that, then we committed to like having this transparent business model. So it's like right now about half of our money every year comes from tuition and about half of it comes from donations that we get from like random donors. So in those early days, we had to figure out how we were going to do that. Like, how are we going to get half of our money from donors every year? Like what? (laughs) Like, so some of it early on was like, okay, we're committing to this philosophical point that we really want to stand for and then we would have to figure out how to make it happen without Mm -hmm. compromising the philosophy right because most colleges just when they get into financial trouble they just raise tuition and then they're like okay there we go problem solved and we're like well we're not going to do that so what are we going to do instead so it was stuff like that we we were all on the same page about um like no tests no grades there's no, we don't ask for standardized test scores or GPAs when people apply, like nothing, none of that. Like we always wanted to commit to having, to treating students like human beings, as opposed to like objects that we're sorting based on their GPAs or their test scores or their whatever. And then again, we had to figure out, okay, well, if we're not going to do like admissions the normal way, what are we going to do? And so we had to like design that from the ground up. And that got us into interesting conversations about language we really didn't like the idea that admissions and the rejection and the exception, accepting and like all the language that goes with that and how the whole system is designed to make you feel like you just have to prove yourself. And then eventually somebody tells you, nope, sorry, you're not good enough. Or yes, you're, you know, it's like everything's based on someone else's judgment of you. And they don't even know you really because they're just looking at 
a very few pieces of information about who you are. So we decided that we would call it matchmaking. Aww. So we have a matchmaking <laughs> department instead of admissions. And uh, we don't accept or reject people. Uh, it, it is a matchmaking process all the way through that's very relationship driven and it's all like personal essays or you can do them via video like this or you can do them in person or you can you know audio record them and send them to us whatever if you don't want to write them and then the whole way through it's like the student gets to know wayfinding and wayfinding gets to know the student and the whole point is like is this a good match and if this is a good match then eventually we were like cool we invite that student, and I won't give away any surprises, but we do like a special little invite surprise thing <laughs> that usually involves an in-person visit mm -hmm. that we've had to adapt during COVID. Um, so we do this like special invitation, and then it's up to the student to s accept that invitation or not. So a lot of it in the early days was like identifying, okay, we don't like this, what are we gonna do instead? I heard that the program, the main program at Wayfinding Academy is a two-year one, right? So what, what is that called and what sorts of classes does it consist of? Because it's definitely not like a traditional college major, right? Exactly. Yeah, the name of the major. So it's, it's an associate's degree. So like if you go to any junior college or community college, you would get like an AA associate's degree. Uh, so it's that. It's one of those. We decided to call our major Self and Society which that was an interesting one because that bureaucratic state agency that we had to do all the paperwork for, that was one of the questions they wrote back and they were like, are you sure? Because they were like, we've never heard of this. This is not a normal college major. And I was like, yeah, that's the point. And they were like, okay, if that's what you want to call it, we'll let you call it that. So when a student comes to Wayfinding, they're here for two years. Over those two years, they take nine core courses and half of those classes are about self. Right, so it's like Wayfinding 101, communicating effectively, uh, the good life. So it's like self-exploration. And then the other half of those nine classes are society focused, like understanding our world or science, technology, and society. So like what's going on in our world and in our communities. And the whole goal of the program is that you can like, by the end, you can put those things together. You're like, I know who I am. I know what's going on in the world. I've identified what I am most passionate about and care about and what I want my purpose to be for the next phase of my life. And this is what I'm gonna do next. And so we thought self and society was a good way to describe that blend. And then they also, every student does two internships during their two years, which we help them find. That's gonna be like, help them get going on their next steps. And then they all take uh, 12, what we call labs. They're like short workshops on really specific topics that are taught by members of the Portland community. And we, we curate the ideas from the students. Like we ask them, what are you interested in? And like, what should we put on the schedule for next year for like these little workshops? So we've ended up with some weird ones. Like, I don't know, I don't know if weird's the right word, but like very niche ones. So we did one last fall on cartooning. Like it was called Saturday morning cartooning and it was offered on Saturdays and it was like, how do you create, how do you draw cartoons, but also how do you create a narrative and a story to like do comics? And then we had one that was like hip hop and spoken word, how hip hop and spoken word can confront fascism. Wow. So it's been like really interesting labs that we curate based on students' interest. And then they take whichever ones they want. They can take as many as they want, but they have to take 12 over two years. But my favorite part of the program, one, one of the questions that you had sent me in advance was like, how are we different and what's one of my favorite ways we're different um and one of my favorite ways this was the thing that i'd never seen done at any other college like the things i just described 
kind of like normal colleges. I mean, there's like classes and internships at normal colleges, but we decided we wanted to have what we call the guide program, which I had never seen anywhere else. It's like a way better way to do academic advising. So every student gets a guide and they meet with that person every week for 45 minutes for two years. And that person like helps them with classwork and finding internships and choosing good labs for them and that kind of stuff, like their academic stuff, but also helps them with professional development things and personal development things. And like during the pandemic has been checking in with the guides have been checking in with students a lot about like, how's your living situation? Are you safe? And how is work going? And like, do you need a new job? And you know, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like an accountability buddy of sorts for two years. I don't know. I know I never I never had that kind of support when I was in college and I certainly never saw it when I was a professor anywhere and I think it's there's like a special bond that forms between the guides and their students that's just really magical to watch over the the couple of years that they work together. Yeah, that sounds so nice. I haven't I guess experienced college yet, but just thinking back to high school, like we had counselors, but honestly, I think I saw my counselor a couple of times a year and it was if I had a specific question and not really, as as you said, an accountability buddy, which I think can be so helpful. And I also really like the self aspect, like the personal development aspect of the program, because when I was reading about that on the website, it just made me think about how um, I'm like really interested in personal development, as most people listening to this know. And so I think a lot of people who are also interested in it will go to YouTube. And there's a lot of YouTube videos where you can learn about concepts like that. But then I thought, why isn't that also taught in colleges? Because that seems like such an integral part of learning what you want to do in your life or learning about yourself. So I love that you're actually integrating it into your curriculum at Wayfinding. I feel like we hear people say that a lot, that like college is supposed to be a place to find yourself and know, understand who you are. Like people say that, but then colleges don't actually help you do that at all. They're just like, yeah, good luck with that. So yeah, it was really important to us that it be part of it. And so for the first four years, we did the same class, the same nine classes. And we just added a new one this year because of just everything that's going on in our world right now. We got feedback from our students that they really wanted some help with resilience skills. Mm-hmm. Um, which makes sense because when you're, you know, in your late teens or early 20s, you you don't have a lot of lived experience to like feel confident that things will be okay and like get how to be resilient during like really hard times like what we've been facing. So we just swapped out a core course and because we're small, we can be fairly nimble and do this. Like one of the classes we were going to offer this current term, we just were like, scrap that. We're not going to offer that class. We're going to offer this one instead. So we now have a brand new Foundations of Resilience course that all of our students are in together. So I love that there's just like these core values of the college because I feel like even if you were to offer classes like that at a traditional college or a traditional high school, like for example, at my high school, there were some interesting classes that I was I wanted to take. Like I remember there was a professional communications class and I thought that could be so helpful, like a real life skill, but I didn't take it because I had limited space in my schedule and there was the pressure to take classes that would look good on a college application rather than choosing something that 
actually would genuinely be more helpful to me. <laughs> yeah, and I guess I didn't think of it that way. Like we make all of our students take all of those classes. And you know, some of them love the society ones more than they love the self ones, and some of them love the self ones more, and that's fine, but they all have to take all of them. Yeah, they're important, you have to. Yeah. Yeah. So for the third section um, of the podcast, I thought we could talk about a couple of, I was just trying to put myself in the place of people who might be listening to this podcast and what concerns they might have. So for example, not all parents I imagine would be in favor of their student choosing a school like Wayfinding Academy, over a bigger, more traditional, kind of safer school. And so what would you say to those students who want to attend a school like this, but are struggling to convince their parents of why it would be a better fit for them? Yeah. Um, well, I guess one thing I should mention is that we're always willing to talk to parents, um, at least while during that. Once you're a student here, we don't talk to your parents unless you tell <laughs> us to talk to your parents. But like until you become a student with us, if we, you need our help, like explaining things or convincing them or giving them examples, we can totally do that. So sometimes what happens is if a prospective student decides that they want to come here, then they they talk to us a few times and then they ask us to like have a conversation with their parent. So we are happy to do that. Um, one of the things, I'm not a parent, so I'm saying this from like not my own experience, but from like all these other interactions is that one thing that I know is that parents want like they love their kids and they want what's best for their kids and parents sometimes have to just do the work to like separate that in their brains of like what society expects and what everybody else says is like the safe choice or the right choice or the best choice or whatever parents have to break some of that down on their own like that's work that they have to do to be able to then just let their kid do the thing that is best for their kid and that we can't really help with i mean that's work that the parent has to do. But if they're willing to do that work, and I, and I guess I'm, I would also say that we're a college for kids who think they don't wanna to go to college, mm -hmm. but they kinda do, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like they want a learning environment and they wanna do something and they wanna be part of a community and they wanna learn about themselves and they wanna do stuff and they want some like support and accountability and like that structure to that. But the, the idea of going to like traditional college does not appeal to them. They might be like, oh yeah, I did the education system all the way through high school, didn't like it. Why would I want more, right? So my guess is that if the parents, if they're in this conversation with the parents, their parents would, if they're honest with themselves, say, yeah, my kid probably won't be happy or wouldn't thrive or wouldn't finish or whatever at a traditional college. For the very most skeptical parents, what we usually say is like, Wayfinding is kind of like a great blend of college and gap year. So there's a lot of self-exploration, there's a lot of adventure to it, there's a lot of self-directed learning, and their kid's gonna come out the other end with a college degree, a two-year college degree that can be transferred on for more college if they want, although most of our graduates don't decide to do that because they just can start doing what they wanna do right away, so they just do. Or, well, and they end up at the end, they've got done two internships, so they might have a job already from one of those internships. Um, they all, throughout the two years, they build this online portfolio where they're collecting all of their projects that they do and all their work. So they have this thing, this website at the end that they can like show people. So it can't really hurt them to let their kid do this for two years and get all these skills and learn about themselves and have all this experience and then if it's the right fit for them to go to like the bigger fancier safer college after then they can do that then when i was trying to think of like what what would the devil's advocate say i was thinking 
you know, some some careers or some jobs definitely require a very specific set of knowledge or technical skills. So, for example, going to med school or computer science. But then when I thought of computer science, I actually thought back to another podcast episode I did. I talked to someone who I believe studied computer science in school for four, maybe even six years. But she said that once she actually started working at a computer science job, she used mainly the skills that she had taught herself outside of class, like just on these online courses, because at school, they mainly learned the theoretical aspects of computer science. So I'm sure that it seems to me that the types of careers where you would actually need um, something outside of Wayfinding Academy are kind of limited. But I'm curious, what are some of the paths that students have taken after finishing those two years? Have they started jobs in the places they had internships, like you said, or started their own businesses, or what have been some of the options? Yeah, and and I guess that's where the matchmaking process comes in, because if somebody, I don't know how this would happen, it has happened a few times, I should say, where somebody does start the application process with us and our matchmaking team talks to them and uncovers that what they really want to do is be like a therapist. And then, not that Wayfinding can't help them get started on that and learn more about themselves, totally, we totally can. But if they're like, I know exactly which career I want and there's already a very clear path to that, like being an accountant or being a doctor, or being a lawyer, or being a therapist, whatever, then we usually try to say, well, why don't you just do that? And we give them some connections to like therapists that they could talk to for informational interviews to like find out what that path is. Because th- then it might not make sense for them to do wayfinding first, you know what I mean? So we certainly don't want them to come here just for the sake of coming here when it's gonna actually like set them back on their educational journey or not be the way for them to get there. So um, the people who come here are tend to be the ones that are like, I don't really know exactly what I wanna do, but I'm really interested in like social justice and art or, you know, things that they're like, I don't, I have these interests, but I don't know what to do with them. And I don't know how that to turn that into like a career or a life path exactly. And so that's where we really do a great job is helping figure out how to put those things together into a meaningful path. So yeah, we've had graduates who, we've had a few who go on to a four-year college afterwards. Um, They typically take a break right after wayfinding and like really figure out what they want to do at a traditional four-year college. And they go to that college in a very different mindset. You know, they're like, I'm coming here. They know exactly why they chose that college. And they're like, I'm coming here because I want this, 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 and this. And then they make the college work for them. So like maybe they design their own major or maybe they get a job like through the campus because that's what they want to do. Or, you know, they, they just like go in with a different mindset than I think most young people go to college with, at least the ones I've known. And certainly when I went, I did not have that mindset <laughs> when I went to college. Um, so some of them do go on to a four-year degree, but most of them don't. Sometimes they start their own business or they do like they get a job to pay the bills and then they start like a side hustle business. So we've got a couple of students who are starting their own fashion brand. It's like a social justice combination with fashion brand thing. Uh, And then we have some that did get jobs because of their internships. So one of our grads did an internship at a local art gallery and then got a job after that being one of the assistant curators for that art gallery. A few of them got a job right afterwards doing what they wanted to do, like teaching. 
a lot of our graduates are really like empathetic, caring humans. And so uh, teaching professions or facilitating professions are a really good match for them. So some of them got jobs directly doing that right afterwards. We try to stay um, neutral, I guess, is the best I can think of. We try to stay neutral about like we don't try to steer them in any direction when they graduate. Like we we do not think it is of higher value for them to go to a four year college or to start their own business or to get a job or to do a gap year and travel or, you know, whatever. We try to stay totally neutral about all of that because what we want to do is help them do what what they want to do. So we're like, we don't have any preference what you choose afterwards. We will help you do whatever it is you want to do. And we started a tradition with our first cohort of graduates where we get them for graduation. We get them a present. We find out what they're doing next in conversation with them and their guide usually. And then we get them a gift that will help them do their next step. So actually your computer science example just reminded me one of our grads in our second cohort, he was super into like, he wanted to really learn computer programming and stuff like that. And he didn't realize that about himself till he took a lab like halfway through his second year at Wayfinding. And so when he graduated, we got him a course at a local, one of the, you know, like a code, a coding camp kind of code, code school thing. So we got him like a six month course and gave that to him. We were like, well, this is what you said you want your next step to be. So he took that course. Then he enrolled in their full certificate program and got all the training he needed. And now he like has a job and writes apps and like does all this stuff. So our role is really just like help them figure out what they want to do and and do it purposefully. Yeah, I love how personalized it is from the beginning, from the invitation and um, flying out to see them and then all the way through to graduation. Because just thinking about other colleges, like you just get an email or a letter and they send you a hat and a water bottle or something and that's it. And then you have to tell them yes or no. So one of the things you mentioned was that the students who do go on to a four-year college afterwards, they find ways to make college work for them. So my second question in this advice section was, are there any ways that a student who's already in college but is kind of dissatisfied with their experience can adapt their college experience to make it more useful to them without just dropping out altogether? Yeah, there's like one secret thing that I learned from being a faculty member is that almost every single college has like a create your own major option. Almost every single one. They don't usually advertise it or it's like in the fine print in the college catalog or something like that. So one of the things that I would say is that if you're, if that's your source of frustration at a traditional college is that like, okay, I have to pick a major from this list and none of these things are really exactly what I wanna do. I would really like to combine this with this with this. then go to whoever it is you have to go to. Usually it's like your department chair. You could ask the academic advisor. The fancy name for the like the high, high up person that you would want to ask to get permission because you can always jump that scale and like go to the very top person and get their permission and then everybody else has to do it is the provost. Some schools call it the vice president of academic affairs. So go to that person and say, hey, I want to design my own major and I wanna combine this and this and do the research first. Be like, look at the college catalog and say, I wanna take these eight courses from the psychology department and these six courses from the business department and these three courses from the sociology department and I want my major to be called blah, whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, They will make you jump through random hoops and fill out papers, but they have a way that you can do it. So if that's your source of frustration, I would say do that. The other advice I'd give is that 
Higher education institutions, small ones like us or huge, huge ones, they have so many resources. And the whole reason that they exist is to serve their students. They often don't act like that. Like most of the time they don't act like that. But they, that really is what they're there to do. So whatever you want to do, they, they can find a way for you to do that. So like if you want to try out a certain job or you want to get onto the cafeteria crew because you want to learn like basic food prep skills, like there is a way you want to start your own radio show so that you can learn radio stuff or podcasting or filmmaking or like even if it's not an official class or major or whatever, they've got that resource there. They definitely do. Mm-hmm. So like I would take full advantage of all of the free stuff that you can get access to when you're at a traditional college. Uh, I think a lot of students don't do that. And I guess the last thing I would say is that students have way more power than they think they do. Colleges typically treat students like they're not that important. Like you're really important when they're trying to recruit you to come there. And then you're really important when you graduate and they're trying to get your money when you're an alumnus. But like while you're a student, they, they kind of ignore you more or less. But students have a lot of power. The, the voice that colleges have to listen to is students. They don't actually have to listen to the staff or to the faculty or to the, you know what I mean? They, they should, but they don't. But they actually do have to listen to students. So if there's a thing that you care about or that you wanna do or that you wanna see happen, like students have so much power. And, and faculty can too. So like if you can find a cool, like faculty member who wants to be an ally or a mentor or an advisor. Um, Faculties get their greatest joy from working with students, so they're like so excited to get to do that stuff. That's some great advice. So finally, I want to move on to a little bit of a lightning round. What would you say is your favorite quote? I will not attempt to pronounce it in Spanish, even though it is originally in Spanish, Um, but it's from a poem. The translation is something like, Traveler, your footprints are the only road, nothing else. Traveler, there is no road. You make your own path as you walk. Which makes sense to me in like my own personal life of what I've chosen to do. But also now I am about to walk my seventh Camino de Santiago pilgrimage. And so now it has all these like new meanings for me about walking and making your own path and so forth. I love that. And also for the students, like you said, the advice, find, find the resources that you need, find the opportunities that you need, make your own path. How about a favorite book of yours? Oh, there's so many. <laughs> um, I, one of the books that I read early on that had a big influence on my life was called uh, Walking on Water. The author is Derek Jensen. He's mm-hmm. usually an environmental activism writer but he wrote this one book about his time teaching he taught a creative writing course at a college it's like his shortest book that he's written and it's about his approach to teaching and that really changed my perspective on teaching I read it when I was like a new teacher and it I never taught the same way after that Mm -hmm. and what is the best piece of advice that someone has ever given you I don't know where I got this advice. When I was younger, I used to totally ignore it when adults would give me advice. So <laughs> now I'm probably one of those adults that now the younger people ignore. But I do try to pass this one on because I heard it when I was young, didn't believe it for a long time, and now I totally believe it and I pass it on, is um, that life is really long. Like it's longer than you think. And it goes in all these like twisty, turny ways that you can't predict in advance. So like be a good human and hold your relationships close because those relationships can last like way longer than our brains can conceive of them lasting when we're young. 
Uh, and they usually go in different directions that we would never have predicted like when we first meet somebody. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was just so inspiring to hear your story overall and how Wayfinding Academy is trying to do college differently. Um, it was great talking to you. Oh my gosh, same to you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I'm really glad we did it. So three takeaways from today's episode. If you are an Enneagram One reformer type like Michelle, or even if you're not, if you have an idea for something that you want to change or something that you want to start, but there isn't necessarily a template out there for how to do that, like I really did not know that it was possible to start your own college until I found out about Michelle and Wayfinding Academy. Don't let that deter you. This is going to sound so cliche, but if there's a will, there's a way. So Michelle gathered a group of people who had the same vision that she had. They figured out all of the paperwork that they had to fill out and they started their own college. So if a person can start their own college, I'm willing to bet that you can do what it is that you want to do as well. Second, I really admired the story of that student who flipped a coin to decide his grade. Because even if I in school did also share some of the same views that grades just don't always make sense, especially when I was taking classes like photography and videography, it was just like, how can you grade me on something that's so personal and creative? I still very much had that attachment to grades. They were very important to me. And so I'm not saying that you have to just give up and protest the system by not trying at all, but just notice your own personal attachment to this number or this letter grade. Like Michelle said, your grades do not define your worth. What matters most are your talents, your interests, what causes are important to you, etc. Finally, I really like the part that we talked about at the end. Three things to do if you're not happy with your college experience. Number one, you can probably create your own major at any college that you were attending. Number two, use the resources that are available to you. I think this applies to both high school and college. There are so many connections that you can make and opportunities that you can find if you go out and look for them. And finally, number three, work to create the kind of change that you want to see in the world. Again, super cliche, but as Michelle said, colleges have to listen to students. And so if you have some change that you want to see, make sure that that is known. For today's action of the day, I had trouble thinking of something, but I think what I've settled on is try to think of something that you could teach yourself. So that podcast episode I mentioned, that was with Antonia, and I'll put that in the show notes in case you want to give that a listen. But so she basically taught herself online most of the computer science skills that she now uses in her computer science job. She didn't learn most of them in her actual college program for computer science. So what is it that you would like to learn and what resources are out there that are not necessarily in a university setting? Bliss Bean updates. I had my first study slash work with me live stream on study stream last Wednesday and it was so much fun. 40 people showed up. We had a wholesome little Q&A at the end and I will definitely be doing more of these because I really enjoyed doing it and a couple of people um, reached out to me on Instagram to say that they enjoyed it as well. So once that is planned, once we've set a date, I'll let you know on Instagram and in my newsletter. These study streams are also normally streamed on their YouTube channel as well in case you don't have a Zoom account or you just don't want to be part of the zoom room we just couldn't figure out how to set it up this time there are some technical difficulties but yeah normally they'll be both on zoom and on youtube 
for my recommendation today, I've definitely mentioned this elsewhere on the Blispy, and I just can't remember if I've mentioned it on the podcast. Hopefully not. But there is a book called Where You Go Is Not Who You'll Be by Frank Bruni. So this book breaks down a lot of the myths regarding prestigious colleges and shows that it's really the effort that you put into your college experience and into life in general and not really the name of the university on the diploma that will determine your success later in life. And that you can also have a really, really good, valuable experience at colleges that are smaller or lesser known. So I hope you like that book. I hope you like this episode. I hope you're having an amazing week and I'll talk to you next week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your family and friends and leave a review on iTunes. You can learn more about The Bliss Bean and connect with me on YouTube and Instagram at The Bliss Bean and TheBlissBean.com. If you'd like to sign up to receive the show notes in your inbox every Wednesday morning, that's TheBlissBean.com slash podcast. If you have a listener question, comment, or suggestion, you can send a voice memo to hello at TheBlissBean.com. Thanks so much for listening. See you next week.